Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is Dave Stevens, CEO at Mountain Lake Consulting, to talk about the LLPA changes and what he thinks the housing industry should be fighting for now that the DTI requirement has been pushed back. Dave has served as Senior Vice President of Single Family at Freddie Mac, Executive Vice President at Wells Fargo Home Mortgage, Assistant Secretary of Housing and FHA Commissioner, as well as CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association. Before we dive into this very important topic, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Matt Dowd, Vice President of Product Management at ICE Mortgage Technology, about mortgage automation. Matt, what challenges are customers facing around adoption? I think the challenges lenders face with adoption are fairly consistent and evident, but you know the real question is how to solve the adoption question. So it goes down really to change management and perceived value. Um, without getting users on board, you're going to be hard pressed to make any progress. So you have to do that with training, 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 and training. And the second piece of the puzzle is really ensuring that you're able to provide the value to your users. So you're gonna need quantifiable and empirical data that shows how implementing and embracing this type of technology is going to help them do their job. That's really important. And listeners, you can find out more at icemortgagetechnology.com. Dave, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be with you, Sarah. Always great to have you. And wow, I have, you know, we have a good topic today, which is LLPAs, which you've written about for us. You you talk about, you know a lot about. Let's dive in and and talk about what is the controversy right now with LLPAs. Well, it depends where you go, whether there is actual controversy. I'm very concerned about the policy because I believe it's a precedent setting move that FHFA has done here. Um, but let me just walk you through it. There there are As you all know, in February, the FHFA put out their intent to change the loan level price adjustment fees in the LLPA matrix that you can pull down from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's website. And uh, in the process of doing so, what we discovered is that there were some fairly significant fee reductions for what I would describe as higher risk uh, borrowers in the the, uh, GSE programs. People with credit scores down to maybe 620 with minimal down payments uh, got as much as a 1.75 basis point or 175 basis point, 1.75% reduction in their LLPA fees. So they went literally from like 350 basis points down to 175. But we also saw increases in other areas um, in higher credit quality borrowers, folks with it's, and it's a, it's a lot of fee changes. It ranges from increases of uh, 15 basis points up to maybe 75 basis points on the increase side, and then some pretty sig- significant reductions uh, in those low FICO score, high LTV um, cohorts or cells in the matrix. But um, th- those increases impacted borrowers mostly with credit scores over 700 uh, and all of whom had much larger down payments, you know, a 15% down payment, a 20% down payment or more, uh, we'll see fee increases. Uh, now, what happened since February's announcement is was a big response <clears throat> to the policy, not solely focused on this, as, as everybody in the lending business remembers, it also had a cap that if your debt to income ratio went over 40%, there'd be an additional fee added. And 
not sure the logic of that. That really confused industry. Uh, it was tighter than the CFPB's own QM rule of the past um, qualified mortgage rule. Uh, and uh, it, it, there was a whole lot of concern about having to um, redisclose to borrowers who suddenly, you know, they apply thinking they meet the DTI. And then once the underwriter looks at their income, et cetera, their DTI is over the 40 and suddenly they have to go back and get charged a higher fee. So the good news is um, primarily driven, I think, by the MBA and the members of the MBA. They met with Director Thompson and some, the team from FHFA. We learned shortly afterwards that they were suspending the debt-to-income portion for three months. So that's not till August at this point. And there's hopes that with continued pressure, maybe that part won't get implemented. But they still went through with the LLPA changes, and that's in effect right now. If you look at today's loan-level price adjustment matrix, it reflects the new reduced fees. And so um, I don't care how a regulator or a policymaker tries to describe this. It's very clear to me that they're using better credit-worthy borrowers, charging them more to compensate for the reductions they're giving to um, uh, lower credit-worthy or higher credit-risk borrowers uh, in that LLPA grid. And look, my concern is simple, Sarah. Um, I totally subscribe to the director's concerns about improving home ownership rates for particularly African-Americans and Hispanics. I agree there's been a traditional access problem, particularly with the GSEs, in being effective in providing financing um, uh, for minority borrowers and first-time home buyers with lower credit scores and lower down payments. But this is the first time that the GSEs have ever implemented a policy that literally convolutes the discipline around risk-based pricing in the LLPA structure. Now, loan officers will tell you, and I'm sure um, readers of Housing Wire will, will, will say, Dave, it's already implemented. We, we, we rolled it out in you know, March or April because it's effective May 1 for deliveries, so we had to get that pricing in there. It ain't, it's not that big a deal. It's not a huge change. And you know, my response to that is we need to be vigilant as an industry not to allow regulators to start tinkering with Fannie and Freddie simply to achieve political or social ends. Um, you can do other things to achieve affordable housing outcomes with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They have, you know, home affordable or home possible, depending which GSE you're um, talking about. These are affordable lending programs literally targeted um, to, to first-time home buyers with lower credit quality uh, worthiness, as it were. Um, they also had goals. I mean, the GSEs have had affordable housing goals going back decades. I ran the single family business at Freddie. I had those goals and that those have always been there. And those are targeted at achieving a certain mix of your business that targets certain uh, uh, low income census tract areas or underserved census tract areas, uh, people whose incomes are equal to or below area median incomes. Um, these kinds of things that have been literally in the goals of the GSDs uh, forever, and they've created specific loan products to address that. But never have I seen them take the LLPA grid, which is a core discipline risk-based pricing that industry trusts, uh, uh, MBS investors trust as being designed specifically to uh, uh, charge appropriately for the risk on each loan. 
And that way, investors know when they're buying a home possible product, uh, as it were, or my community home, they know that's a specific product that could have different prepayment speeds, different convexities, different credit quality, higher expected default rates, any number of things uh, that they would know. But when you mix it up in the LLPA grid, um, uh, I think it really confuses the marketplace. Last thing I'll just say, and I'll, I'll quiet down. Um, we had a previous director of the FHFA during the Trump administration, um, Director Calabria, who I was also very vocal about some of the actions he was taking because I was worried that he was using the GSEs and making steps to pursue his political and social agenda with these two companies. Um, I worry that Director Thompson literally just did the same thing. And one thing that I always advocated for when I ran the MBA was that the GSEs should only price for the actual risk on the mortgage. Uh, because once they start deterring from that, you start mistrusting uh, how they're coming up uh, with their analysis on expected default and severity and the kind of things that a good credit risk manager should do. I assume that the GSEs really were not in favor of this. They won't say anything. They're not allowed to. Um, but this is clearly something that the regula regulator passed on. And as we look forward, Sarah, because the person in this role is serves at the will of the president now after the Supreme Court ruling, I just assume that if there's a regime change again in Washington from the Biden administration to another president, uh, maybe from another party, that Sandra will be out. A new director will come in, and we've now just set a series of precedents that the FHFA director can tinker with these two really quasi-private companies with shareholders, boards of directors. Yes, they're in conservatorship. This is not the way to, to run these two companies. It's so interesting because in the consumer press, what you see is people are like, you know, they're going after the people who have higher uh, FICO scores to benefit. You know, they're going to make them pay more so that the lower FICO score borrowers can play, pay less. But from, a, from an industry standpoint, that's not really what, what the controversy is. The controversy is like, it's the risk. It's what you're doing by, by changing those, that grid, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, in the end, let's be real. Uh, even with that borrower in that 620 FICO uh, level with a 5% down payment, they're still going to pay a higher fee, I think, than anybody else in the entire LLPA grid. So they're still paying more, but they did get a reduction of 175 basis points. And that reduction is being partially paid for by these increases to other borrowers. So yes, it, it, you can't say with a straight face that uh, they're, you know, better credit worthy borrowers are going to pay more um, than higher risk borrowers. That's just a lack of understanding of how this program works. But it does mean that there is some cross compensation that that better credit worthy borrower would have otherwise paid less. And that higher risk borrower would have otherwise paid more. And frankly speaking, um, you know, I looked at an analysis that Urban Institute did <clears throat> in their monthly chart book last month. And they show, you know, what's the best deal for a home buyer, um, assuming they could get an FHA loan and that the home seller would take an FHA contract. That's a little bit of its own problem. But, it, you know, those improvements in price for those lower FICO bands, they're not going to get those. GSEs won't get those loans anyway. FHA is a better deal by a pretty significant amount when you look at what they did. So, you know, to compound the concern here, not only did they, the FHFA convolute the discipline around pricing and shift sort of how they're calculating 
the, the capital costs, the risk based on all these various credit bans. They did this, this disruption for an, a goal that I don't think they're frankly going to achieve. I don't think it's going to change the outcome um, any more than absolutely marginally for the kind of borrowers that they want to address. And it's because, you know, FHA just outperforms the GSEs and every other source of capital significantly um, when it comes to serving African-Americans and Hispanics. Roughly half of FHA's business, per the actuarial study that uh, FHA sent to Congress last November, half the business is to African-Americans and Hispanics. Um, the GSEs, you know, barely, uh, you know, come to half that level. In fact, only about 8% of their business uh, last year went to African-Americans. So, um, you know, they've always struggled because they do operate under a risk-based pricing structure. And fortunately, we've always had the FHA, uh, which has been the key to serving communities of color, first-time home buyers, and providing access because they level priced. But the key thing we all got to remember, FHA is not a profit center, right? They're a government agency. They get uh, um, they get funds budgeted for them, appropriated by Congress to operate th- their agency within HUD. Uh, and so they're there to make sure they don't lose money, but not to be a profit center. The GSEs are still ostensibly private institutions that many still believe should be on the track to getting capitalized putting any reforms in place to allow them to ultimately be released um, uh, for the long term. And they're critical providers of house of liquidity to the housing finance system. So I, I, I just um, really unfortunately reject the tinkering that's being done here. Uh, and I, if, if frankly, if I thought they were, had any hope of achieving their objectives based on what they did, I, maybe I could understand it. But I just don't even think that the program itself is going to work. And there's so many other ways um, that we could uh, come up with ideas to help support uh, getting minorities into home ownership. You published a piece by Gary Acosta today, the head of Na- the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. I understand he's going to do several more. I mean, that's the thought leadership that we need is thinking of how can, what are the needs of uh, – minorities to get into home ownership. Certainly down payments one. Certainly uh, access to credit is a challenge. A- available, affordable housing for sale is a challenge. Um, and there, there's a whole variety of things that need to be considered here. This is not the right solution in my view. And so while a lot of the lending industry kind of rolled over and said, well, at least we got the 40 DTI put on the sideline. This isn't that big a deal. To me, it is. I mean, to me, raising a uh, a, a good credit worthy borrower by seven, 75 basis points, which is what someone with a 15% down payment will pay m- more in a GSE loan if they have a 720 FICO. They're going to pay an extra three quarters of a point. It's not like they're rich. You know, these aren't jumbo buyers getting uh, multi million dollar loans that are being um, put into bank balance sheets. These are, you know, a lot of middle class Americans in that full spectrum of the uh, LLPA grid. And our industry is struggling, housing struggling, our interest rates are up, consumer confidence is down. It's the wrong time, the wrong policy, uh, and it's a bad precedent. 
I think that's so interesting. One of the questions I had was like exactly what you brought up with FHA. It's like, yes, I know that we have these um, these housing goals that the GSEs have to do, but if you have FHA, FHA already doing a great job serving these borrowers, why why is there that overlap? Are we not, you know, like, is there no one looking at both of those things and saying, we already are doing this. We don't need it over here. Yeah. And it's a complicated issue, Sarah, because I've spoken to a lot of the consumer advocate groups and progressive groups in Washington, and they make a good point, which is, look, we don't want to have FHA be sole provider of financing for our, our members, our people, the people we care about. And there's a lot of reasons why you don't want that. I mean, anybody who's in the mortgage business knows there's a lot of real estate agents, a lot of home sellers that won't accept the contract if it's an FHA loan. Um, they think it's the, the rumor is it's just going to be too hard, there's too much risk. And so if there's multiple offers on the transaction, the GSE contract's going to be accepted first. That's a problem. Um, we have a lot of banks that have exited the FHA program. So it's, you know, it's the full spectrum of availability really isn't there. At minimum, there are overlays put on by these large institutions, uh, particularly depositories on the program. So not every potential home buyer gets access uh, to a mortgage equally. Um, and so, you know, there is this desire to have others fulfilling goals. I mean, keep in mind, one of the things being discussed right now, which I know non-banks are concerned about, but the banking system has to follow the Community Reinvestment Act. They must, they're obligated to reinvest um, in communities where they take deposits and they have to reinvest in the form of lending is the primary way to do that. And so you'll see banks really focused on communities that they don't have good coverage uh, in terms of lending to, and they'll do all sorts of programs, reduced rate programs, various subsidies to try to get into those communities. Unfortunately, 80% of lending today is done by non-banks. And uh, so non-banks aren't subject to CRA. And so there's this whole debate swirling around the Community Reinvestment Act. But I believe this is part of a broader dialogue. I, I don't. I, I think coming up with this isolated kind of haphazard adjustment to an LLPA grid and really, I, I don't want to take a swear word here, but really um, upsetting the tradition around discipline on risk-based pricing protocols at the GSEs is not the right way to do it. There should have, should have been and should be a more global dialogue. I mean, where's Director Thompson on holding listening sessions uh, with stakeholders on how better to meet the needs of providing financing and access to home ownership, uh, particularly in communities of color? Why isn't Director Thompson teaming up with the folks at HUD, Secretary Fudge, Elena McCargo, uh, Julia Gordon, and others to try to bring in stakeholders who represent lending, um, uh, community advocate organizations, uh, mayors of, of key urban markets and more to talk about what are the key bound barriers to entry here. This policy came out in February and it's my understanding industry was totally taken by surprise. There was no advance uh, notice to the MBA or others. I don't believe that were, Hey, we're coming out with this policy. Here's what it's going to say. There was no, Hey, I'd like some feedback before we roll this out. Just to get your initial response. I think people were generally kind of blown away, surprised, and more so about the thoughtlessness, frankly, of particularly the DTI cap, which made absolutely no sense, and the, and what would result in a bunch of corresponding customer service nightmares. Um, but, you know, the MBA has, did a great job fighting back against that, but they haven't, 
you know, the bigger fight, which I is, I think is the integrity of how a director and their obligations of a director who is the regulator of Fannie Freddie, Fannie and Freddie should operate because I worry about whipsawing between uh, regimes in Washington that have different political motivations around the government's role in housing finance uh, coming into the FHFA every four years or however often it may be, and then sticking a needle into the policies and programs. Ultimately, we could dwindle down the one value proposition that the American housing finance system has over any westernized nation uh, on this earth. And so, you know, that's really where I think the, the risk comes from. And I, I think, I hope my brethren in the business will say, you know, that's a good point. We need to fight this on principle, uh, if nothing else, um, because this is not what an FHFA director should be doing. And where is that global debate? You know, I wrote a piece in Housing Wires, you know, Sarah, about how there's no housing policy leadership in Washington. And I've, I've argued this for many, many years. Um, people have chuckled. They call it the housing czar. I never use those words, but we have nobody leading a, a national debate on ha- housing access and housing affordability. No one. Secretary Fudge talks about it, but you know, the role of the HUD secretary is not what it used to be. Um, obviously Sandra addressed it this way with an LLPA grid. Um, we have the CFPB worried about regulating lenders to make sure they're complying with fair lending requirements. We have state uh, attorneys general doing the same. I mean, it, it's a it's a labyrinth. It's a spider's web of of um, of folks that are looking at you know how do we solve this? But there's no collective coming together uh, of 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 policy leaders to say okay, let's lay out the problem. Let's close the doors. Let's do three or four or five days together. Let's bring the brightest minds we can into the room. Make, make sure we're hearing from all sides. Let's lay out the issues and come up with some uh, implementable solutions. Uh, that's something I think we need to be doing, um, not little incremental policy changes that I think are very disruptive, like we just saw here. When is the last time, in your opinion, that we had that kind of leadership, like the, the housing czar uh, idea? Well, you know, it's funny. I, um, I've looked back at various presidents along the way. President Reagan was a, a, a great advocate for home ownership for all Americans, particularly minorities. He was sounded almost like a liberal uh, back in the day, but he advocated for it. I think, you know, I think the HUD secretary was meant to be that role. I mean, if you think back before that, the housing finance collapse uh, in 2008 and going back years before, under the HUD secretary was everything that the CFPB has. They had the Office of Regulatory Affairs. So they established the rules and regulations. The SAFE Act was rolled out by the FHA commissioner. I was in the seat at the time just before everything got pulled away under Dodd-Frank and put over to this new regulator called the CFPB. The, the HUD secretary regulated Fannie and Freddie. Um, the, the, the FHFA didn't become real until HERA was created in 2008 and set up a new regulator to regulate Fannie and Freddie. Back in those days, the HUD secretary had teeth. Uh, she could, uh, she really had the ability to look at the overall food chain of government guaranteed programs in the housing finance system, as well as the regulatory enforcement structure. Um, and she was the sole role to lead that uh, as a cabinet position. I mean, I look at President Biden today and I, I look at the Homeland uh, 
Security, um, the, sec- the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Secretary of Treasury. Um, these are roles that are huge and powerful, and they can drive economies or defense or protecting protecting our country and more. The Secretary of Housing sits in the same cabinet room with these powerful human beings, and and the, yet the HUD Secretary has an ounce of relative weight uh, when it comes to addressing issues important to America, the domestic economy. And um, what is mind-boggling that we all know in our industry, housing makes up 40 basis points of the GDP. So it's you know somewhere between a third to a fifth of the of the GDP of this country. It's a critically important variable. Powell knew that to slow the inflation down, he needed mortgage rates to rise because if he couldn't slow housing, he couldn't get the economy to slow down. Housing's like a vital, you know, uh, a, a vital vein uh, in in the in the body of our economy, and yet who's in charge? Who's running the show? And unfortunately. I haven't heard President Biden talk about housing. There was one speech on housing that I've heard so far. That was in Maryland um, when Secretary Fudge attended it. The Vice President Kamala Harris did the primary speech, and that's when they announced the MIP cut that just took place in the FHA program. I think Julie actually was up there. FHA Commissioner Julia Gordon was up there attending. But that was the Vice President. And part of my concern is, you know, who you have do things makes a statement. Um, this is one of these things where it's clear to me that the White House is saying housing doesn't matter. Um, that, that's really what it appears to me by their actions. No offense. I've got a lot of friends in this administration, but it appears that way. And look at all we've gone through in our business. Um, uh, going back to, you know, Calabria and um, when the Fed first came in in March of 20 and there was, you know, we had no idea how the GSEs were going to handle the forbearance program. We didn't know what the rules were. Everything was kind of made up on the fly as we went forward. We, we, we had, we had, uh, independent mortgage bankers who weren't sure how they were going to do advances. And we were asking Ginny May to set up a, a liquidation facility that could provide liquidity to Ginny May servicers. And they implemented something, but you had to, you had to state that you were in default as an institution to get access to that credit line. I mean, I can show time and time again how thoughtless moves uh, really threaten the system. Now, we we made through it. 2020 and 2021 were fantastic years only because of Chairman Powell and the Federal Reserve. That's it. Um, they ended up driving rates down into the low twos, and we we did loans, more loans we've ever seen in the history of this nation. But it, you know, to no credit to anybody else, only reason the housing market, did, the mortgage market in particular, and purchase market did really well those two years during COVID was due to the Fed, um, despite the administration uh, and, and the regulators who cover uh, our industry. So look, no offense, but I, I, I think our industry needs to be championing a wake-up call uh, and not just idly like roll our fingers and say, you know, I'm going to attend the next conference and hear about the new policy options. We need, we need a rallying cry, I think, uh, with leaders, not just the MBA, because they can't do it alone, but uh, the home builders, the realtors, that's a good initial trifecta. I'd add the American Bankers Association and the Independent Community Bankers Association, the powerful trades that all have people that actually do real estate and mortgage finance. Um, they've got to come together with a really strong, aggressive message to this administration to stop 
tinkering and let's deal with the real issues we have today. It's interesting because as you said, you know, we had that the whole uh, DTI part of this discussion caused so much blowback that, you know, they did, they did roll that back. And I think they've pushed it back now until uh, 2024, right? Like no, no loans that are done in 2023 have to do it. So do you feel like that was where the political capital was spent? And now everyone's like, Oh, thank God that's done. So at least, you know, and then it kind of leaves this part that's like, wait a second, we're not done yet. Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that was a calculated decision at the time to say, this is the most important issue on the table. I think it was, frankly, I agree with that. Um, we got, we, Sandra's not going to give back everything. So let's target the issue that's, uh, most critical to our business and frankly, our home buyers, our home buyer, home mortgage borrowers, because the last thing you want to be doing is disrupting their process by uh, having to thrust in this 40 DTI, which could become a real disruptor along the way. And the percentages of disruption were pretty big from uh, the lenders that did their own analysis, looking at time of application, what the initial debt to income ratio is, and how many changed to be above 40% after the underwriter uh, got all the, all the um, confirmation information needed to actually validate that debt to income ratio. And so it would have it been much more profound in terms of impact. This one, I, I think they let it slide. Um, I, I have seen uh, Bob Brooksmith make comments about it um, in, in recent uh, public publications, but um, I think what we're missing is the forest through the trees. Um, I think a lot of people are focused on the trees, and if you focus just on the trees, it says, eh, it's not that big a change. We already implemented it. Nobody even really understands it's there. Um uh, so it's not that big a deal. I just don't want to waste my time fighting about it. But the forest, if you look at the forest, it says to me, you're letting the entire landscape shift. Um, you're, 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 you really are, are, are creating an entirely different way that regulators can mess with policy for these two quasi private companies that happen to be in conservatorship right now. And, um, and frankly, to pursue Fannie and Freddie alone for political and social objectives is is it should not be allowed. It should not be done without the context of USDA, the Veterans Administration Program, the FHA programs, and private capital resources to figure out where does everybody play? How do we make sure we're filling all the voids? Um, this this kind of approach is infuriating to me. Um, even though a lot of people have already rolled over and said, eh, it's out there. I, I, I don't think we should roll over. I think you need, I think the industry should demand that any of the groups they're members of, whether it's a state association, a national association, I don't care who it is, they should be very vocal about it. I commend CHLA. Um, Scott Olson's been, you know, very vocal on this subject. He published a piece in Housing Wire as well on this issue. And, um, you know, we need more of that. We need people who are just saying this can't happen. The good news is, you know, the New York Post ran a story. Um, I got interviewed in it, as did a couple of other folks. I was quoted through heavily in it, as were other people. Um, that bled on to the Washington Times. I was on Fox News twice last week. Um, uh, I was on Squawk Box this week. Um, uh, I'm doing right after you. I'm talking to NBC Nightly News, literally here, um, right when we're done with this. I had a call from a producer for Good Morning America at ABC. Now, granted, I don't, I don't know why they think this is such a big issue and there's so much else to deal with in housing, 
But it's something to grab onto. This idea that you're going to charge good credit borrowers more for worse to help subsidize uh, pr- better prices for worse credit borrowers, an easy one to kind of glom onto uh, in the media. But it's gotten a lot of attention. I'm sure I've riled up friends in the administration. But, um, you know, I got, I got a call from a member of Congress's uh, head staff person who covers housing. And she asked me, she goes, look, I get your point, but did you ever go to Sandra on this? Well, I went to Sandra on this back in February. And I was assured by her, she said, don't worry, Dave, we have it under control. We're meeting with the NBA. They're bringing a group of members in, kind of dismissing as to whether I should have a meeting with her. Um, and then in February, I wrote my op-ed for Housing Wire on the subject. And I was as complimentary as I could be to Director Thompson because I, I respect her. Um, but I said, it's, you know, the right intention, but bad idea was, I think, sort of the gist of my story. Um, and so I went back to this a member of Congressman, uh, Congress's staff uh, a couple of days ago, and I told her that I did all this back in February. It's not like, you know, we're coming out of the blue trying to punch them in, in the dark or take them down in the alley. This is this has been, you know, right in front of their face from the very beginning, how we've been opposed to this. And I'm just thankful now that more media is paying attention to this uh, right now. I think it's sort of surprising how it all blew up. But I still think we ought to encourage the FHFA director and this administration not to tinker, but to really come up with strategy, thoughtful strategy around housing policy, because that's what's needed today. Dave, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. I agree with you that that, um, that consumer media and that consumer outrage, even though it's kind of funny to us because it's like the real outrage, uh, you know, I mean, they kind of totally missed the DTI thing. They wouldn't, you know, that wasn't covered, but that's the leverage right. that could be used now. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But thank you so much for coming on as always. Appreciate you. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate you as well. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.